good to see you. Well, good morning. It is good to see you today. We are really glad that you're here. And we want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. Thank you. And um, thanks for, for being here. I'll just remind you, um, tonight is our kindergarten Thanksgiving, um, kindergarten daycare Thanksgiving program. So you can leave all the chairs right where they are when you get through. You don't have to put them up. And as um, a matter of fact, if some of you want to help us when the service is over, we need to put all the chairs we can out. And then somebody's also going to be putting risers up. So, so if you can, if any of you want to help do that, we'd love to, to have you volunteer. If you look in the worship guide, there are a couple of things for you to take note of and ministry opportunities for you. Um, we're going to say more about global hunger in just a moment, but the Thanksgiving boxes are coming up and they're $20. We can support a family that way if you'd be interested in helping. And then Operation Christmas Child, and then there's job opportunities. You know, Sandra's re retiring in December, and we need to fill that position. And if you're interested, um, you could get a resume in as quickly as possible. We would appreciate it. But we are glad you're here. Are you ready to worship? Amen. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? I'll do that next. church pants on. Holy. Holy. All right, you can be seated. It is good to see you greeting one another and um, would love to encourage you at the end of the service to talk to people again. If anybody slides in, maybe get together and go eat or do something where you can get together and get to know one another. I want to call your attention to this photo just for a moment. In the worship guide, there's a little bit more about global hunger. It used to be world hunger. Um, this particular photo I took when I was up on Mount Elgon. It's um, right between Kenya and Uganda. We came in, you've heard me tell stories before, but we came in right after um, Doctors Without Borders left and, and war torn and, and, and people were starving coming back. And this particular picture, um, Renee Crane, her husband um, has been here before preaching, but they were IMB missionaries. Um, they've since retired, but she's there with one of the Kenyan women, and right behind her are, um, corn, it's, you, it's hard to see there, but it's corn and also beans, and um, she's waiting for those to grow so that she can feed her family. They're basically starving until that time happens, 
And that corn and those beans were provided by the World Hunger Fund, um, the Global Hunger Fund. Um, I saw it in action and, and saw how it worked right then. They also provided for them corn and other things to eat until that time. But the next year, we went back and that place was just thriving. And, and it all started because we were able to get them started. And, and the Southern Baptist Convention does that through the World Hunger Fund. Um, and so I would encourage you to give. There are several places where you can see how to do that and, and, and to give to that. Um, this is a Sunday we set aside. This is also a Sunday to pray for the, um, the persecuted church. And so we, we just remember those two things together. But I, I want to encourage you to do that and, and to give to that. We have, um, we have our call, new call to worship, and, and I'm just going to ask, um, just pull it up and look at it real quick and let you read it. It comes out of Revelation. I know um, you'll be familiar with it, but just read it just for a second because it's new, and then you can read it out loud with me in just a moment. But, um, all right, are you ready? Read it out loud with me. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad that salvation belongs to God? The Lamb is provided today. Amen. We're going to continue to read through the scriptures, and uh, Keith Moore's schedule, but he's feeling a little under the weather, so David Klinskos, come on and read for us. Today's scripture is Luke 9, verses 37 through 43. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crown crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, church, let's continue to worship the Lord. Let's stand. Let's worship him. Let's be grateful for the grace of God this morning, for all that he does for us, um, just to praise his most holy name.
it's enough. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He loves you this morning. He's crazy about you. And he tells us some very specific things in scripture about who we are in Christ. And so we want to sing these words. We want to sing them with gusto because this is who he says that we are. So let's sing it together.
Father God, we come into your presence as your body. Father, I thank you for the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Father, that you have saved us. You have freed us from ourselves and from sin, from our past. And Father, I pray that we can understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Father, I praise you today for that freedom that we have in you, that chains have been broken, that you are continuously breaking those places and us that do not look like you. Father, work in us today. Convict our hearts, convict our lives, encourage us, challenge us. But Father, help us to be your worshipers. Father, we don't want to have the trees cry out. We want to be the ones that worship you and enjoy you and love you because you alone, Father, are worthy in your son. Freedom. 
have come to worship you. And I know that in this room there are many different reasons that people come. But God, I thank you that we can come and worship you. And Father, as we come this morning, we come asking that you would just help us for a few brief moments to focus our attention on you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just allow calmness to fall across us. I know that there are many things that we are anxious for. But your word tells us to be anxious for nothing. But everything in prayer and supplication to let our requests be known to you. And so we lift up our hearts for you today, to you today. We pray for those who are physically suffering and emotionally suffering. We pray for those who who are spiritually suffering and walking away from you. Draw them back, Lord. Draw them to yourself for the first time that it may be born again. Our Father, would you would you bring our prodigals home? We live in a crazy world. It's not surprising to you. You told us what the times would be like in the end. And whether this is the end or we don't know when you're coming, we just have to be ready. We have to be prepared. And so I pray this morning you would help us as we study your word, as we dig into a new book. Would you speak to us and show us your power and your grace? May we experience your grace today and walk out of here at peace. Peace with you and peace with one another. Help us, Lord. You know the heart. You know the hurt. You know the worries. You know it all. So again, we pray for a spirit of calm. That you would open our ears that we might just listen to your word. And be ready to obey you. Would you just ask the Spirit, just before we finish praying, would you ask the Spirit to speak to you this morning? Just ask Him to speak through His Word. That's our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to do that for a while. Um, We're starting a brand new series. And so the book of Colossians, we're just going to look at two very short verses, um, the very first two verses. And um, these verses are loaded with truth, as you'll see in just a moment. But um, Colossians chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Colossians 1, 1 and 2. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you. You can be seated. So we start a brand new series. Colossians is, is just four chapters, um, basically 95 verses, but these 95 verses are jam-packed with an incredible view of Jesus. As you know, Paul wrote 13 letters that we have. I say we have because he references a couple other letters in his writing that we don't have. In Colossians, he'll talk about a letter to the church at Laodicea that we don't have. In, in, in Corinthians, he talks about a couple other letters that he wrote to them that we also don't have. But we have 13 letters that we know are from Paul, and, and each of them have a theme. For example, you could say Romans is about justification by faith alone. It's about other things, but it is about justification by faith alone. Ephesians is about the unity of the church. It's about the body of Christ. Philippians is, is a letter about the joy of Christian living. If you go to Thessalonians, which we've studied before, he talks about the end time doctrines and Jesus is coming back again and all that. But in Colossians, when we come to this letter, I, I had a professor um, in seminary, one of my favorite. I only was able to take a couple classes, but he, he wrote a little commentary on, on Colossians, and his name is Curtis Vaughn, and, and Dr. Vaughn said this. He said, Colossians is about the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It is about the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Maybe to put it in a little bit more layman's terms, someone said Paul is basically in these four chapters giving us a full-length portrait of Christ. As a matter of fact, it's, it's an amazing letter in the depth of what he gives us about who Jesus is. What's interesting is Paul, and I'm going to give you a little intro and then we're going to dig in. It's interesting because Paul doesn't seem to have ever visited this church. He didn't plan it. He, he, he never was there, but he's praying for it. That tells us a lot about how we should pray for the church across the world. He was in Ephesus for three years, and during that time, he, he began for a two-year period to teach every single day in a hall, and he taught the truth of God's Word, and, and the Word of God began to spread throughout Asia. Listen to what Luke says in Acts 19.10 about Paul's time in Ephesus. This continued, his teaching every day, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the Word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. One of the people that seems to have heard it was Epaphras. Epaphras, as we will see, is, is, is a person in chapter 1, verse 7, who is a fellow servant with Paul, a faithful minister with Paul. He, in chapter 4, verse 12, we find he was one of the Colossian citizens. He's from there. Um, it, it would seem that, that Epaphras gets saved in Ephesus when Paul is preaching. The gospel spreads, and he takes the gospel home, and he plants a church. And it begins to grow. But as what happens often in churches' lives, as the church began to grow, they hit theological trouble. And so what we think happened is, is that Epaphras has planted the church, and now he went back to Rome to see Paul because there's some problems in the church. There, there's some false teachers in the church. 
And so he goes back and tell Paul, tells Paul what happens, and, and Paul writes a letter from prison. I, I, I'm never thankful for difficulties in a church, but it's in those difficulties that we grow, and it's through the early church's difficulties that we get some of our greatest letters. Colossians is one of those letters. Paul's in prison, I think, in Rome. And from that time while he's in Rome, he writes three letters that we know of. He sends a letter back to Ephesus. He sends a letter back to Colossae. And he sends a letter to Philemon, who just so happens to live in Colossae. So we, we get two letters in our New Testament that come to this city. Just to give you an idea, Ephesus was 100 miles east of them. Okay, Laodicea, it's a little city that we hear about in the book of Revelation. Laodicea was just 10 miles away. So Laodicea was, was closer to the city of Colossae than, than Raglan, Moody, Leeds, Asheville is to us. Okay? They were closely related as cities, and they, at one time, Colossae was a thriving city. If you like history, you would be, might be interested in this. Xerxes, one of the Persian kings, Xerxes came through Ephesus 400 years, or Colossae 400 years before Christ. At one time, it was a thriving city because as Xerxes came, he came down the main highway. Now, as you know, in the South, we, we have watched cities that one time were thriving because the highway went through the city and then they built an interstate. And all those cities dried up because the traffic wasn't coming through anymore. And that's what happened in Colossae. Somebody moved the main highway and it no longer went through Colossae. Colossae started going through Laodicea. And, and, and so the city began to die down. I'm almost done with the history. If, you're, if you don't like history, I'm almost done. Okay, just hang on. But, but it's, historians tell us that the year Paul wrote this letter, around 60 AD, the city was destroyed by an, or decimated by an earthquake. It was just decimated, and they rebuilt, but they never regained their influence. 400 years later, it's no longer inhabited, and now you could go back, and the ruins are still there today, and there's never been an archaeological dig on the city. It's not fancy enough for them to even do a dig. I want to point something out to you. Paul writes this great letter to Colossae. He mentions Laodicea. Colossae got the gospel from Ephesus. But in just a matter of some 30 years, John writes a letter. We know it as Revelation. And he says about the church at Ephesus, the church that gave the gospel to Colossae, you've lost your first love. He says about the church in Laodicea, the church that Paul mentions here, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I vomit you. In just a few years, those churches had fallen. I made this point in the book of James, and I make it again here, is that we must do all we can to see Jesus as he's portrayed in the book of Colossians. We've got to see Jesus as the writers portray him, as the gospels portray him, and we must worship him with all that we have, and we must do all that we can, church, to make sure that we're training up disciples. 
that we're bringing up people who are learning the truth about Jesus and studying the word of God because I would suggest to you that Laodicea and Colossae and Ephesus and all these churches that we have these letters in the New Testament, they're proof to us that there's no guarantee that there'll be a church on this corner in 50 years. That's frightening. And we would almost say, there's no way. We were founded in 1903. We'll still be here. Look at the number of denominations and look at the number of churches who lost the view of a preeminent Christ, of an all-sufficient God, and they began to drift. We cannot allow that to happen in our watch. We must never lose sight of who Christ is, and we must never lose sight of his gospel. Now, instead of surveying the book, I just want to dig in. I've been praying through and reading this book for months now, trying to get ready, and and I just can't wait another day to to not just dig into the text. And so let's just dig in, and we're going to look into it. We'll be in it for several months, and, and for the last several weeks, we've talked about prayer. We talked about it in the last three or four weeks of James. We talked about it with praying the Psalms. And we talked about it last week as we prayed together in a time of corporate worship. We've been talking a lot about prayer. And, and I've been praying and reading through this book. And one of the things you're going to learn is you're going to learn how to pray. We, we saw with James in the school of prayer. We saw with David in the school of prayer. We, we, we've been with, with Jesus in the school of prayer. And, and, and we're about to go with Paul in the school of prayer for the next several weeks because we're going to see how he prayed for the church. And here's the thing, how he prayed for a thriving church at the time. How do we pray for one another? We'll see that here. What's the theme? Colossians 1.27. Christ in you the hope of glory. That's the last sentence of that, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the theme of this letter, and we'll unpack it as we look through. The first 14 verses are an introduction. It's just one big long sentence for Paul. The first two verses, as we see today, are a greeting. Verses 3 through 8 are a prayer of thanksgiving. And then verses 9 through 14 are a prayer of petition. But let's just start right in the middle, right in the beginning, with an introduction. Look at Paul's introduction. The first thing we see, just look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Okay, several things here. If you like alliteration, I'm going to alliterate for you, okay? The first thing we see is the author, okay? Paul. Paul. We know a lot about Paul, but let's not forget who Paul once was. Let's not forget that Paul was once Saul. Let's don't give up on people who are lost. Let's don't give up on people who are straying. Let's not give up on people who seem to have no hope of the gospel. Let's keep pushing on because Paul was once Saul. He was the one who held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. He gave approval to the death of, of one of the first seven deacons. He was the one who arrested Christians and dragged them into prison and put them to death. The early church, I've said this many times, the early church would have considered Saul to be a terrorist. But Saul, that's his Jewish name, took the name Paul, that's his Roman name, and Paul begins to follow Jesus. And now just 30 years after his conversion, he's writing a letter like this. How long have you been saved? Is there growth? Are you growing in the things of God? 
Saul encountered Jesus on that road, and he was born again, and he never looked back. He kept growing and kept pushing. And just 30 years later, he's writing a letter like this. What a testimony to grace. That's the author. But let me show you the authority. The authority. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's the authority. He's an apostle. The word apostle in the Greek language could simply speak of someone who sent. A king could send people out to do something, and they, they would use that word apostle for them. It's, it's often used of a missionary gift. They're, they're sent out as missionaries, and, and as we send out missionaries from our church, they, they, that word is used. But, but when it's used like this in the greeting, and when it's used in, in this context, it's an office. It's not a gift like, like you might say a missionary gift. It's not a term. It's an office. One person said this about the apostles. They were clothed with the authority and the power of the sender. Apostles were clothed with the authority and the power of Jesus. That's why Peter walks down the road and his shadow falls on people and they get healed. That's why Paul raises up the dead. They're clothed with the authority and the power of Jesus. It's interesting because in Acts 1 where, where Peter says, look, we got to replace Judas. And, and he says, the, among other things, the person who replaces Judas and becomes one of the 12 has to have walked with Jesus and seen Jesus raised from the dead. But Paul calls himself an apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus on earth, and he didn't see Jesus raised from the dead. He says about himself in, 1 Corinthians, or in, in Corinthians, he said, he said, I'm an apostle who is untimely born. He's unlike the other apostles. But while he did not see Jesus come out of the tomb, he saw the risen Savior, you remember? You remember he's going on the road to Damascus? And, and what does Jesus do? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? I'm not persecuting you. Who are you? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He saw Jesus, and then we know from his writings that he spent time in the wilderness where Jesus himself taught him. So Paul is untimely born. He is different than the other people, but he was an apostle, and he was an apostle. And here's what I want you to see. He, he, he is the last of a group. John, the apostle, is the last of the group that died when John died. There are no more apostles today. Let me just say as clearly as I can, avoid watching anybody, reading anybody, listening to anybody who takes the title apostle. Now, some people in the newer church and the modern church today take the word apostle and use it for a missionary gift. I understand that, but there are no apostles today See this, he's not self-appointed. Paul didn't appoint himself as an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle, look, by the will of God. Do you see the appointment? The appointment is by the will of God. Paul's the author, the authority is he's an apostle, and the appointment is by the will of God. Now let me just stop for a second. What are you by the will of God? You're born by the will of God. I know, maybe your mom and daddy told you you were, you were an accident. <laughs> 
we never tell our kids they were accidents. We say, you were a surprise. But uh, especially the last one, it was a definite surprise, but not an accident. And you know what? God wasn't surprised. God planned you before the foundation of the world. Just read Ephesians 2.10. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned before the foundation of the world. You're not an accident. You are born by the will of God. I would suggest to you, the scriptures teach you're born again by the will of God. And as a born again child of God, by the will of God, you're spiritually gifted by the will of God. God has given every one of his children at least one spiritual gift to be used within the body of Christ for the discipleship-making process we call the church. Every single child of God in this room who's been born again has a spiritual gift. You've been given that gift by the will of God. You are what you are because of the will of God. Paul was an apostle by the will of God. I'm a pastor appointed by God, and and others are worship leaders, and and others play and do other things in our church, and and others help in many different ways. We have people who greet, and people who teach, and people who help in the nursery, and people who do all different kinds of things using their gifts within the body of Christ. Now, it's interesting, Paul mentions here Timothy. Timothy's not an apostle, but he's always with Paul. Paul. He's He's a faithful brother in Christ. He was Paul's spiritual son. The truth is, he's a third-generation Christian. His grandmother was a believer. His mother was a believer. And Timothy is now a believer. And here's the thing about Timothy. He's always there with Paul. There are times that everybody deserts Paul. It wouldn't be easy to run it with Paul. You know? You go out with Paul, you end up in prison, or you end up beaten, or you get run out of town. It wouldn't be easy being with Paul, but Timothy was always with Paul. He never left Paul. He stayed with Paul unless Paul sent him to do something. He was always there. And here's what I want to say. You've heard me say this before. Every single one of us needs a Paul in our life. You need someone who's pouring Jesus into you, who's pouring the word of God into you, not just your pastor and not just your Sunday school teacher. We all need to be in small groups of discipleship where people are pouring the word of God into us, but it can't stop there. You need a Paul in your life, but you also need a Timothy in your life. You need someone to pour into you like a Paul, and you need a Timothy that you can pour into. Now, this is not the most pleasant story, but I, but I thought about it this morning, and it worked in the first service, so I'm going to share it with you, okay? I, Kim bought me a little electric smoker for, uh, for Father's Day. I love that thing, and smoking ribs and, and whatever you want to smoke in it. And, and so we smoked some stuff in it, and, and, um, and um, some, you got to be careful how you say that today. We smoked some meat in it, and, and, um, and, and, and we finished, and then we ate, and, and I left it to clean it up later, and, and, and several days later, I keep walking by up on the deck, and I'm like, what is that smell? What if the dogs drug up? It was just this terrible smell. Kim noticed it. The girls noticed it. And finally, I walked by, and it hit me. I didn't empty the water pan in that smoker. Now, that's a gross thing. A water pan that's been soaking up all the drippings of the, of the pork 
whatever I, 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 I just roasted it and I took that thing out. And here's what I'm saying to you. If all you have is somebody who pours in you and you never pour out, you become like a, like a sponge that gets sour. There are far too many Christians that just get fed. You just get poured into and you never become what God's called you to be until you get that pouring in your own life and then you pour it into somebody else's life. Parents, you start with your children. You start with your grandchildren. You start with wherever you find yourself. It doesn't have to be fancy. We've got materials to help you, but you need somebody pouring in you and you need to be pouring into somebody. He mentions Timothy. Do you have those two people in your life? We move to verse 2 from the introduction to the readers. Look at what he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Okay. Now, he says to the saints. Literally, that word means holy ones. I'm afraid the, um, the Catholic Church has stolen that term from us, and, and they refer to it by those who are super saints, super holy. But we need to understand that the Bible uses that phrase as the holy ones for Christians, period. You are to be holy. It literally speaks of our separation to God. When you are called by God, you are separated out of the world into Christ. And we'll see more about that in just a moment. But just as the Jews were, were the people of God by the will of God, so we who now been saved, Jew and Gentile alike, we who have now been saved on this side of the cross are the people of God. And if we are saved, we are called out of the world and into Christ, and we are to be holy, a people belonging to God. Alabama Baptists were shocked this last week with news coming out of a East Alabama town, small town mayor who was a pastor of a small church, had been living an um, alternative life. I didn't know these sites existed. I don't want to see these sites, but he had dressed up and posted pictures of himself in all kinds of women clothing. And just the ones they showed on the article were pretty lewd. And not only that, but there were comments that came from him according to the article, and they quoted some of them, of things that he said to other people's sight, encouraging all manner of life. Well, the deacons found out about it. It was exposed, and the deacons did what they should have done. They brought him to the church to be removed as pastor. I'm, com I'm careful because, unfortunately, right after that, he committed suicide. And I hate that. I wish the brother would have been repentant when he was brought before the church. And I wish that he could have found help in that situation. But he said something in the church. Is he pretty defiant, at least the way the article said. And I understand that's dependent on the author. But this is what he said to the church. My private life does not impact my holy life. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, you have no holy life outside of your private life. You can be anything you want to be in front of the, the world. 
but you have no holy life if it's not impacting your private life. I'm not piling on that man because we all have secret sins. And we all have things that we wish would never be shown up on the screen for everybody to see. But I am saying your holy life starts in private. And when you're called by God and born again, he begins to move you into Christ-likeness. Not only are they saints here, separated ones, but notice what he says, they're brothers, faithful brothers. And again, just listen to James, this includes brothers and sisters. So that's your second point, they're brothers and sisters. If, if you are the people of God, you have one father and we are brothers and sisters. If we are same father, it makes sense. We're brothers and sisters, right? So we're brothers and sisters, a part of the body of Christ, called out by God to be holy. We have one Father. We're joined in one common faith. And here's the question I would have for you. Are you a brother and sister of Christ? Are you born again? But here's the second question I have asked for you is, are you a faithful brother and sister? Are you using your gifts within the body of Christ are you using the gift that God has given to you? Is the church better because you're here? Is the church more like Jesus because you're using your gifts? Timothy was a faithful brother. The Colossians were faithful brothers and sisters. We need each other. We, we cannot be what God has called us to be if we're not all operating within the Spirit, working toward holiness and active in our spiritual gifts. He's given the gift to us, and that gift is for the edification of the body. It's, it's so that the body of Christ will grow and so that the head of the body, Jesus, will be glorified. Now, this notice real quick, at Colossae, he says, that's their physical location. So you look at this and see that, that they're the separated ones, they're brothers and sisters, they have a physical location. I'm not as concerned about the physical location, just like I'm from Bell City, or you're from Cropwell, or you're from, you're from Boaz, or you're from wherever it may be. That's not as important, because here's the truth. We've got brothers and sisters all over this world. Don't lose sight that in Russia and Ukraine, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lose sight that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are Jewish and Palestinian. The founder of Hamas, his son is a born-again believer living in hiding in the United States. Don't lose sight that all over this world, in every nation and every tribe, people are coming to Christ. And they're all brothers and sisters. That's our physical location. But here's the thing. Look at their spiritual position in Christ Jesus. Our spiritual position is so much more important than our physical location. You realize that, right? Our spiritual position is more important than whether we're from Alabama or the United States. It's more important than anything else in this world. Our spiritual position in Christ. 
That was their position and is ours. Paul uses some form of, of in Christ 164 times in his letters. It's his favorite way to show us who we are. To be in Christ speaks of the deepest and most joyful mystery of the gospel. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. We partake in him. We partake in him and all that he has done for us. We died with him. We rise with him. He took our sin upon himself. And now because of that, we're able to take his righteousness upon ourselves. It means we belong to him. The Bible says every single one of us are either in Adam or in Christ. You're born in Adam and you're born again into Christ. When we're in Christ, we're placed in the Father and, and into the kingdom of his beloved Son. We, we'll try to unpack that as we go through, but, but it's the most blessed truth of our salvation that, that we're now in Christ. Get this, it's, it's not like other religions. Buddhists follow the teachings of Buddha and they do their best to, to keep those teachings. Islamists, um, Muslims do their best to follow the teachings of Muhammad and they do it within their own power. We try to keep the teachings of Jesus, but we don't do it on our own power. Christ is in us. Islam has no category for Muhammad in them. Jesus is in us. He empowers us. He lives through us. And he says to the disciples, it is better for you that I go because I send my spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And when we go out, however many of us are in this room, and we go all our different ways, wherever we find ourselves, we have God with us, in us, through us, walking through. How does that take place? That's the third thing, Paul's blessing. Paul's blessing. Look at his blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. You see that blessing, grace to you and peace. You see it all the way through his letters. There's a, there's a Greek blessing, grace to you. There's a Hebrew blessing, peace, shalom. You see them both here. But think about it this way. Let me just nail it down and narrow it down. Grace is God's favor. It's God's favor. Starts there with God's favor. Peace is more than just the absence of conflict. When people talk about peace in the Middle East or peace in Russia and Ukraine, we're talking about the absence of conflict. It's more than that. When we think about peace in the Bible, it's, someone said it this way, it's, it's wholeness. When we're at peace with God, everything given by God in every area of our life is now ours. Not just spiritual prosperity, it's not just contentment. It's the ability that comes when we understand the nature of our relationship. We see what Jesus has done so that we can be saved. And he's established a relationship with us. And in chapter 2, verse 13, he'll say like he said in Ephesians 2, 1, that we were dead in our trespasses. But God has made us alive together with Christ. And he's forgiven us, he said, of all of our trespasses. That's grace. And that's peace. 
Grace comes first. There's, there's no peace with God without his grace. There's no relationship with God without his grace. There's no salvation without his grace. But with God's grace comes peace. Peace with him and peace with one another. God's work leads to our relationship with him. I was studying this this week and I was trying to a couple weeks ago, I was, I was just trying to, to remember an illustration that, that, that I'd read that I think could help us understand this. I, I read it several years ago. Um, so let's just compare two superheroes for a moment, okay? Now, sometimes in our staff meeting, I won't say who they are, but maybe Mark and Tim, um, they sometimes forget that, that Marvel movies aren't real, okay? Um, and, so, and so I have to remind them every now and then. So let's just stop for a moment. And, 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 and Mark's out there listening to me in the, in the lobby. But, um, but let's just compare Batman and Spider-Man, okay? And they may not even be Marvel. I don't know, and I don't really care. But I want you to look. Batman and Spider-Man. Batman is wealthy. He's a wealthy man, and he has, he's strong, and he's got a lot of gadgets, okay? As far as I understand, and I'm sure Mark will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, um, but Batman's powers are external, and they're only external. You take away Batman's gadgets, he's just a man. But Spider-Man. Spider-Man's different. Now, I don't say this like I believe it's true, okay? Just, it's it's an illustration. (laughs) Spider-Man does have some gadgets, but, but he's a superhero because of the powers that he got when a radioactive spider bit him. It's not true. If it was, I'd let a spider bite me every time I saw one, but it's not. Here's the thing about Spider-Man. His nature was changed. When the spider bit him, he has new powers that he never had before. Now, Western Christianity, that's us. We focus on gadgets. Newest study Bible. Newest commentary. Newest concert. Newest worship experience. Nothing wrong with those things. But if all you do is build your life on gadgets, you're left with nothing when the trials come. We are less like Batman and more like Spider-Man in this illustration because our salvation transforms us from within. We're changed inwardly. And that change continues. Continues from the moment that Jesus comes into our life. It continues to change us until the day that we are in his presence and we're glorified and outwardly we are perfect in his presence. It's all grace. And that grace leads to peace. Again, peace with God and peace with each other. So let me just close with two questions. Are you walking in his power? Let me tell you how to walk in the power of the spirit. Find what your spiritual gift is and operate in that gift. What is it God's called you to do and uniquely gifted you to do inside the body of Christ? 
What have you been called to do? Find those gifts and operate in that gift and you will find the power of the Holy Spirit moving through your life. Are you walking in his power? Secondly, are you walking in his holiness? Holiness of God is also dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But this time, not so much through the spiritual gifting, but through the spiritual fruit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and there is fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's fruit that's for every single believer. And so if you want to narrow it down to, to the walk with God, walk in his power, find the gift that God's called you to do and operate and do what he's called you to do and walk in his holiness through his fruit. So let me just sum it up with this last sentence that I want to repeat for you. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God, separated for his glory. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God, separated for his glory, changed by his grace. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God, separated for his glory, changed by his grace, and living in peace. That is for every one of us. And that's just the first two verses of Colossians. Just wait till we get to he is the preeminent one. Wait till we get to what Paul says about Jesus. Just wait till we dig into his prayer. Are you walking in his power? Are you walking in his holiness? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Let me ask you something. All I can ever trace it back to in my own life and any life is, let's just look at the last week. Look at the last week. Have you seen the power of God in your life in the last week? Have you used and operated within the spiritual gifts? Are you using those gifts in the body of Christ? We would love to help you find those gifts. Tim would love to help you with that. Mark and Chris, myself, we would love to help you find your spiritual gift. Are you operating in that area? And then secondly, are you walking in holiness? Is there love in your life? Joy, peace, peace with God, peace with others. Are you patient, kind, good and gentle, faithful? Do you find self-control in your life? Are you walking in holiness? Are you walking in power? Father, we pray that you would help us because I know this morning... There are some in this room who are not operating in that because they've never been born again. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show them that and they would come to you. And I know that there are many in this room, they, they've been born again, but 
They've been drifting. Maybe there's a bitterness that's taken root or a meanness that's come across or they're just kind of bailed out on church. They're not being faithful to do what you've called them to do, not only here in this body, but outside in the world. And so, God, I just pray that you speak to us just through Paul's little introduction and that we would be faithful brothers and sisters. Help us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. I'll be right here. Tim's over here. Um, Mark, I think, is out. Mark's over here by the door. And so if you would like to talk to any of us, we're here to help you. Or you can come and pray, and we'll help you with that. Let's sing together.
Tim was reminding me, if you go to our church's website, there's a resource button. And on it, there's a spiritual gifts analysis. Now, let me be real careful. That doesn't show you what your spiritual gift is. Okay? There's no test that you can figure it out. But it does show you where you're strong. It may show you where your desires are and where they line up. For example, you might find that you have a very high shepherding gift. You might be surprised, but shepherds make the best Sunday school teachers. Not necessarily the teacher, the shepherds. And so look at it, and if you're interested, see Tim. He'll be in the foyer. There's some resources I know in our library on prayer and on spiritual gifts. And there's some other stuff out there to help you kind of just find out what it is. Sooner or later, it becomes, as you're walking in the Spirit, what are the desires the Lord lays on your heart? I'm so glad you're here today. If we can raise the lights up and just remind, um, you can leave the chairs exactly where they are. You don't have to take them down. If anyone wants to help us when we kind of clear out a little bit, we do need to put more chairs out because our kindergarten daycare is coming in for the Thanksgiving service. And then also we'll eventually need some help with the risers, but I don't know how that's all going to work out. So thank you for being here. God bless you. Greet each other. Ushers are at the door. So let's make sure that we give faithfully to the Lord.